really we are at the epicentre of this book of Leviticus uh, in more ways of one. We've seen over the past few weeks the, the symmetrical structure uh, of the book, the Day of Atonement in the centre, uh, and these instructions to enable sinners to have God living in their presence. And uh, everything that we've looked at in the past three, four weeks, the fourth week we kind of set the scene, didn't we? But the last, certainly the last three weeks, they've all been really heading towards this uh, finale, which is at the centre of the book. Everything has been leading to this. Um, it's been on the news now for days, isn't it? James Bond. It's the last one with Daniel Craig, apparently. I think it launches tonight or tomorrow night. And apparently it's all been heading towards this. There you go, the finale. Well, in the book of Leviticus, it all comes in the middle. That's the structure. We saw the ritual sacrifices and the feast at the end. So you've got those kind of rituals, sacrifices, feasts, festivals. Well, they have their epicentre in the Day of Atonement. That's the big ritual feast day. Uh, and then the jobs of the, the priests. This really is the job for the high priests. So we had the rituals, then we had the, the role of the priests either side. Uh, and then last week we were looking at the purity laws. And again, the purity laws were headed for the Day of Atonement. That's what they were pointing to. Uh, and then this Day of Atonement right in the centre of the book where all these things were heading. And here now is the epicentre of all that God told Moses to instruct the Israelites. Why? Why one Day of Atonement a year? Well, as we read, all the other sacrifices that we've been seeing were for when you knew that you'd sinned. So you sin as a family or as an individual, or perhaps Israel has, and a bull or a dove or whatever uh, is sacrificed to the Lord. But of course, what about those sins of omission, the sins that you are unaware of? What about the sins of Israelite rebellion? Well, they need to be dealt with, which is why God instructs Moses to instruct Aaron and the priests about this one day every year of atonement. So what is it? First of all, what's the day of atonement? Well, the context is verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Two of his sons worship God according to their own ideas instead of the clear instructions of God. They don't do what God had commanded and holy fire comes out. They are killed by God. The holy fire consumed them. And now via Moses, Aaron is given these new instructions. Go into the most holy place or the holy of holies. You are to go in one day per year. The rest of the year, the high priest worships in the holy place on behalf of the people of God. But on this one day, the high priest is permitted with these detailed instructions to enter the most holy place where, of course, the Ark of the Covenant is. And the instructions are very clear. What does Aaron need to do? Well, we read them. There's lots to do for him, wasn't there? A young bull as a sing offering, a ram as a burnt offering. He's got to bathe. He's got to put on the sacred garments, including a turban. 
Israelites wore turbans. Well, the high priest did anyway. So he wears a turban. He takes two male goats There's a, as a sin offering, as a burnt offering. One of them is going to be the scapegoat set off into the wilderness. Uh, lots are taken for these goats. One is killed straight away as a sin offering. Aaron then lays his hands upon the other goat and uh, confesses the sins of the whole nation. And the scapegoat is taken by, um, I was going to say a volunteer, it's not a volunteer, that's a completely wrong word, but it's taken by someone with, again, clear instructions to be taken into the wilderness. And uh, it's released. It's got the sentence of death upon it, really. A goat in the wilderness is not going to last very long. But it's set free. And uh, the person responsible for the scapegoat uh, comes back into camp, but he's got to wash himself and his clothes before he comes back into camp and uh, because he's been in contact with a goat, which has got the sins of Israel placed upon it. It's a lot to do, isn't it? A lot to remember. And if you're Aaron and this man who's taking the scapegoat, you've got to get it right. You really, really have to get it right. Because in the tabernacle, Aaron is sacrificing the other goat. He's splashing the blood upon the horns of the altar seven times. He then bathes again, changes his clothes, gives a sacrifice or a burnt offering for himself and for the people. This is a really, really busy, stressful day for Aaron and the high priest that follow. But they show us, really on the Day of Atonement, the seriousness of sin to a holy God. That's the thing. It is no trifling matter being in the presence of a holy God when you're not in his presence uh, with your sins forgiven. We saw what happened to the two sons of, of Aaron, of Aaron. They go into the presence of God in an incorrect way and are killed because of their sins. Death occurs when sinners are in the presence of a holy God without atonement being made. I can't remember which verse it was in the hymn that we sang, but it spoke of our atonement being made by Christ. It's the only way that we can stand in the presence of a holy God. Death occurs when sinners stand in the presence of God without the shedding of blood, which is what chapter 17 is all about as well. Chapter 16 and 17 really is the epicenter about the day of um, uh, the Day of Atonement. And uh, chapter 17 really is all about and really answering the question, why all the blood? Why does everything get sprinkled? Why does everything get splashed about? Why are the priests like, um, like kind of religious butchers in all that they do? It's because, chapter 17 reminds us, that blood is the symbol of life and death. When people you know, lose all their blood, they die very, very quickly. Blood is that symbol, isn't it, of life and death. And chapter 17, there are further instructions given about sacrifices for sins. But the gist of it is this. Don't kill your sacrifices anywhere else except in the entrance to the tent of meeting. And also, don't eat any food with blood in it. Why? Well, the Israelites could only eat meat with blood drained from it because of the blood's importance to the Israelites. Animal blood 
was bringing them or was allowing them into the presence of God. The forgiveness of their sins was all to do with animals being shed for them. We're going to look how it points forward to Christ, of course. But for them, for the, for the Israelite, it was, it was the blood that was being shed from that animal which was bringing them forgiveness. The blood of the animal and the animal being given in their place. In other words, the average Israelite is dependent upon the blood of beasts, the blood of animals, to pay the ransom for their sin. So to eat what brings you forgiveness of sins would be weird <laughs> and wrong, of course, for the Israelites as well, because it is that symbol for them, it really is. But you and I are not Israelites. Now, if you're a, you know, if you're a vegan, if you choose not to eat meat or whatever, for whatever reason, that's fine. But, you know, basically, if you're eating meat, you've got, it's got the blood in it. You know, if you eat your steak, you have it with blood in it. You either have it rare like me and the blood is still on your plate or it's cooked. But you're eating blood. I, when I was uh, speaking uh, uh, and I, I took us internationally through Leviticus in five Sunday evenings a few years ago, somebody came up to me, classic question, can I eat black pudding? Well, the answer is, do you like it? That's the question, isn't it? If you like it, eat it. If you don't, don't. You're not an Old Testament Israelite. Your forgiveness is not dependent upon the blood of animals. Theirs was. So what difference does it make, secondly, for the Israelites? What difference does the Day of Atonement make? Well, what a day it is. I mean, it is an extraordinary day for the Israelites, year in and year out. In the tabernacle, and in the wilderness, and of course eventually in the temple in Jerusalem, you know, it's the, the most visual, remarkable day in their lives each year. It's the best day. It's a Sabbath day. Uh, it's wondrous. You know, it's all the pictures, everything that you can see. There goes the man from the tabernacle. There he goes. There he goes from the temple. There he goes with the scapegoat. Off he goes. You know, you, can, you watch him for a while. When's he going to release the goat? And, and, you know, will the high priest survive the day? You know, will he make the right sacrifices? Will he come out? Uh, you know, will we hear the bells or will the bells stop ringing on his uh, garments? It's a remarkable day. And they're worried about their high priest. Imagine being in the family of the high priest. If he gets it wrong, he dies. There's so much pressure, isn't it, on the high priest to get the instructions right. And as we've seen in the past month, the ultimate difference really that the Day of Atonement makes, and all of the book is really pointing forward to this Day of Atonement, the difference it makes is uh, Leviticus 1.1, uh, God spoke to Moses, Moses is outside the tent. Numbers 1-1, one, one, God speaks to Moses, Moses is inside the tent. That's the difference that the book of Leviticus and the Day of Atonement makes. God is living amongst sinners. Sinners are living with a holy God in their presence. That is, is really the difference that Leviticus makes. And of course, the Israelites are a chosen people of God. 
They are blessed by God. They're on their way here to the promised land. God has chosen them uh, through, you know, through Abraham. They were a, a man and then a family uh, and then a, a small dynasty and then a nation. No other peoples on earth had the living God living with them. No other peoples on earth knew how they could approach God safely. No other people have really knew about God for themselves. Now we can look back as we have done and seen they would have had a lack of assurance compared to us and a lack of boldness compared to New Covenant believers. But this Day of Atonement would be remarkable each year. You know, they are used to sacrifice. The whole culture of the, the Eastern world in that time, the culture was you know, sacrifices to appease the gods. If you think of uh, the Philistines and their god Dagon, sacrifices offered to try and please Dagon, make the crops grow and all that kind of thing. Problem is, how do they know if Dagon was pleased or not? No answer from a little statue, is there? No way of knowing is Dagon pleased with the sacrifice or not. But with the living God, there was and there is. The Shekinah glory of God in the temple of meeting, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, the priest with the Thummim and Urim, uh, revealing the will of God to them, God speaking to Moses from outside and inside, eventually the tent. Compared to the surrounding nations, the commands of Leviticus make all the difference in the world to Old Testament Israel. And they can have not as much assurance as we can, they have assurance that their sins have been dealt with. The high priest comes out of the Holy of Holies and he's alive. God has accepted the sacrifice. There's a, a relief, as it were, for another year. And so they have assurance their sins have been dealt with. They follow the, the, the law to the letter of the law. And God is with them, they know. But of course, that's nothing compared to new covenant believers, is it? Because Jesus, as we've been looking, as Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, the third thing we see, how is our question we ask, how has Jesus fulfilled the day of atonement? Well, we haven't really gone into details of the sacrifices and rituals and feasts for a number of reasons. One is time. But the main one is this. We're told in Hebrews 12 to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and not to look anywhere else. And there's a danger that we get preoccupied with the details of Leviticus. Because quite simply, Christ has fulfilled them. And we can start looking at the details and start concentrating on them. And it's fine to ask, you know, should I eat black pudding and that kind of thing? And, and how does Jesus fulfill this? But sometimes we can look too much and worry about what does the bull mean compared to a pigeon or something, and be so bogged down with that detail that we're not looking at the Lord Jesus, who has fulfilled these things for us. We can obsess with the details of this, that, and the other. And the reality is all these details were specified for Moses and the Israelites living in the theocracy of a wilderness and promised land life. And they were a shadow of the things to come. And what came was infinitely better. Uh, imagine being... Um, 
in your conservatory or whatever, and you see, you know, a, a, the shadow of a bird fly past, and perhaps it's in the garden. You've still got the shadow there, and the shape is unusual, so you think it may be some kind of uh, exotic bird, you know. Well, it wouldn't make sense, would it, to keep looking at the shadow. You want to look at the bird in all its beauty, in all its finery, in all its colour, in all its wonder. Yeah, you can see from the outline of the shadow what it's going to be like, but it's much better looking at the bird, isn't it, itself? Jesus has fulfilled Leviticus for us, and he is far more glorious than what we're looking at in the book of Leviticus. Because he has fulfilled these, and they are given to us today, still today, to teach us about a holy God, about how sinful we still are today, and how our great high priest, great high priest, has brought in, as Hebrews reminds us, a better, more superior covenant. Jesus is our great high priest. He does not need to wash himself and put a turban on and make a sacrifice for himself before making a sacrifice for others because he was sinless. As the Son of God, God the Son, he could approach and could approach the Father in his perfect cleanliness and cleanness. We were looking last week, weren't we, about being unclean. Jesus is perfectly clean. He is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the goat who is sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. He is also our scapegoat. All the sins of his people placed on Jesus' head. As, um, I can't remember which hymn writer, the hymn writer puts it, immortal honours rest on Jesus' head because our sins have been placed on him. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He is the scapegoat who was sent outside the city wall and was crucified there for our sins. And his blood was shed for us and for our, as our subs, substitute. Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. So what a difference Jesus makes. The day of atonement uh, to see it would have, been, well, would have been very bloody, wouldn't it? But it would have been incredibly visual, dramatic, nerve-wracking, and wonderful. But it's nothing compared to us looking back on the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came to fulfill these things, to fulfill the book of Leviticus, so that you and I can stand in the presence of a holy God forgiven, with great boldness, with great assurance, not worried, is the sacrifice good enough? We know that God the Father has accepted the sacrifice because Christ came back on the third day. And that cry 2,000 years ago, it is finished, is as valid today as it was then and is sufficient today as it was then for all our sins. No matter how good you've been today, no matter how much you've prayed, no matter how much you've read the word, no matter how much you've sinned today, 
you are relying tonight upon the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you in your place so that when we don't love the Lord our God with everything and when we don't love our neighbours as ourselves, we can still stand in the presence of a holy God because we come in the blood of Christ. We come in a great high, with a great high priest who has said, it is finished.